This is Chris. I want to welcome you to episode 6 of X-Lapsed here at the Chris and Reggie channel. Today we are going to hit the halfway point of the Hox Pox event when we discuss House of X number 3. Don't have a whole heck of a lot uh, to uh, pre-ramble about today. Uh, just want to make sure I thank everyone for listening. Um, this has been a very fun little project and uh, I'm so happy people uh, seem to be enjoying it uh, as much as I am. So thank you everybody for uh, reaching out and Saying nice things to me <laughs> really uh, means a lot. Um, but all that aside, let's just get into the issue here. This is House of X number three, had an October 2019 cover date. Story is called Once More Unto the Breach, which I'm guessing is probably a literary reference of some sort that I don't get. Um, this was written by Jonathan Hickman, art by Pepe Larraz. Colors, Marty Gracia. Letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Designs by Tom Muller. And the edits are Bisa White and Sabolsky. Cover price, 5 bucks USD. Release date, August 28th, 2019. So this one hits shelves uh, one week after Powers of X3, which that's a pretty quick turnaround. Um, now we open this issue with a quote page. Five words. Five words on this page. Blank white page, five words. Um... I suppose before we go any deeper, I should probably address the fact that I've actually got a little bit of clapback on my stance uh, on these uh, non-comics pages, and uh, maybe I ought to expand on my thoughts a little bit so I'm not, you know, like outright dismissing them as being a poor usage of, you know, paginal real estate or just space. Um, Now, pages like this, we have a quote. I don't think I need them. (laughs) I don't think we need them. They don't really add anything. I'm sure in a collected edition, they're, you know, a nice little, a nice little you know, break between the, the you know, the story beats. Uh, and I, I, guess, I guess I'll give them that they're kind of striking in their starkness, but I really don't feel like they add a whole heck of a lot um, in a single-issue format. Uh, you know, we have pages like the, the many lives or the uncanny lives of, of Mora X, you know, where we had all of her lives... And then we had that introduction to the X-Men of the Year two, uh, year 100 crew uh, last episode. Those I'll take, every, you know, every day, twice on Sunday. You know, those are value-added um, info pages, I feel like. I think that that's probably the most expedient way to, to give that information, to pass that information on to the reader without, you know, taking up way too much time and space. It gives you everything you need right there. And uh, and it even it even leaves you like with some questions like Mora's sixth life and how Mora's ninth life ended. All that stuff was great. I, I really appreciated that. 
We also have pages where it's just prose, basically telling a story that could have been told with sequential art. That's another one I could do without. Um, I mean, we're going to get a page or two in this very issue that gives us information that could have just been easily done in narrative captions. Uh, it makes me wonder, like, are narration captions just too comic booky for us now? That, you know, I, I get they're going for something stylistic, and in that regard, they're very successful because these pages are very striking and they're very well designed. But, you know, we're paying $5 for this thing. I mean, I didn't, but I mean, people did. And, uh, I think if you're going to pay five bucks for, or charge five bucks for a book, it should have as many pages of comics in it as possible. Uh, these just feel, I don't know. I'm conflicted. I'm conflicted because I, I know at the end of the day, this was meant to be read, uh, probably with an eye toward the collected edition. And I can't fault anyone for that because that's just the direction the industry is moving in. It's, you know, self-preservation at this point, but, uh. I figure rather than writing these pages off wholesale, I'll just say that maybe I feel like there's a per- there's perhaps an over-reliance on them. You know, they were very cool at first. They were striking, even more striking at first, because it was just so different. But, I mean, we're halfway through and the fatigue is kind of setting in. I mean, we're, we're opening with a quote. Um, now, from here, we jump into our requisite double-page spread of credits. So we're three pages in, we're 0 for 3, as far as comics are concerned. I don't want to notice this stuff, and I don't want to complain about it. I don't even know if that I'm actually complaining about it or just, you know, too set in my ways as a, as a curmudgeon. I don't know. But we'll move past this and into the actual story here. We are on Krakoa, and it's X to the first power. And yes, I, I know that it's powers of ten. I just like saying powers of X because that's what it says on the cover. I was going to actually call this one House of Ten, but uh, I decided against it. Uh, we are at X to the first, so it's, you know, the current day, uh, as far as I know. And here we have Cyclops reporting to Xavier and Magneto that he's assembled his team in order to strike at Orcus and the Mother Mold. He promises not to fail, and Xavier gives him a rather strange pep talk discussing the difference between death and being forgotten. So, like, so long as you're, never, you're not forgotten, you're no, you'll never die, stuff like that. And here I'm, I'm starting to have some suspicions. Um... I don't know anything past this issue just yet, but uh, we haven't actually seen who's under the Cerebro helmet, right? Uh, is it Xavier? I, I, I mean, don't answer me <laughs> if I'm asking you a question that you know the answer to. Uh, this is just me, uh, you know, trying to work things out in my head and reconcile what, what may or may not be. But uh, I don't know. It's a little suspicious uh, the way that they're talking here. Like, it makes me wonder if there might be someone else under the helmet. And, uh, I mean, could it be Cassandra Nova? Uh, could it be X-Man? I mean, we just had an age of X-Man before this. I don't know if maybe there was any bleed over into that. Maybe it's Legion? Proteus? I mean, more is involved. Maybe it's Proteus? Could it be Mr. Sinister? I know for a fact that Sinister does, or at least he gets a mention here, because he's on some covers later on in the series. Maybe Mastermind? Um, Bastion? I mean, we're dealing with Nimrod and Master Molds here. It's, well, it's probably not Bastion. I don't know, maybe I'm just looking for, like... I might just be looking too deep. Uh, maybe I'm looking for a zig where a zag will be here. <laughs> you know? Maybe it is actually just Professor X, but uh, it still feels a little bit weird. Um, it just doesn't seem... It's unsettling. It just doesn't seem right. 
And I am... I, the only thing I know about this is that I'm in for a surprise. And I don't know what the surprise is. I don't know where the surprise is. I don't know who the surprise concerns. But the few people I've talked to about this say, like, oh, well, you're in for something. And uh, I don't know what that is, so I'm I'm grasping. <laughs> maybe. Maybe grasping at air. But uh, we will find out as we continue along. From here, we can see Cyclops' team, and he prepares them for this mission. And his team includes Wolverine, Paige Guthrie, Archangel, Monet, Jean Grey, Nightcrawler, and Mystique. He reveals to them that this is the moment where Nimrod might come online. He also makes it clear that they're going to be handling this mission the old-fashioned way, which is to say, no Krakoan safety net, no gateways and stuff like that. Archangel and Husk don't quite understand why they wouldn't use, you know, this wonderful, amazing power they have, to which Monet suggests that if they fail, use of a Krakoan gateway gimmick might lead the Mother Mold and the Orcus Geeks right back to, you know, the base where they're hiding out. Now, the team boards their jet, and they chat about potential human casualties. We find out there are apparently 3,000 humans on board this satellite, and Jean suggests that it stands to reason that some of them might be innocents. Wolverine ain't buying it. Jean says that these scientists aren't, you know, necessarily guilty, they're just scared. And that doesn't hold a lot of water with Wolverine, and I suppose it probably shouldn't. Now from here we get an info page. How to go from a sentinel to Nimrod in just four easy steps. Then... An info page, catching us up on the story thus far, and uh, believe it or not, I'm actually okay with this one. Because, I mean, we are just about halfway through the event, so a catch-up is welcome. Uh, And the way this page is designed is much more um, inviting to the reader than the old standard, you know, Marvel block of text that you would usually open an issue to catch you up. Um, It's it's easier to read, and it's less... it doesn't feel like... It doesn't feel like a cop-out or a chore here. Uh, We also get some new information here, at least I think it's new information, that uh, the data that Mora 9 received about Nimrod was incomplete. So that's not something I think we knew last issue. We might have, but I I didn't realize it if if it was made obvious. From here, an info page. Project Achilles Explained. Now, Project Achilles is a supermax prison saved for the worst of the worst of superhumans. We're going to head right there right now, which begs the question, why wasn't this sparse information given in this par- these paragraphs here just made into narrative captions? We didn't need this page. Um, okay, so we're at Project Achilles, and court is in session. We have a prosecutor named Tolliver, which I wonder if that's a coincidence or if maybe if it's leading somewhere. Um... Because, I mean, there was Tolliver who was, uh, I want to say it was Cable's son uh, when he was, like, undercover as, like, a... Was he, like, in the weapons trade or drug trade or something? He was some sort of a underground sort of guy. Um, but he went under the name Mr. Tolliver. So I don't know if that's leading anywhere, if it's just a name. Or maybe it's just there to catch people like me. <laughs> it's possible. Now, they are presenting the case against Sabretooth. If you remember back in House of X number 1, Sabretooth was arrested by the Fantastic Four after breaking into damage control to get the data about Project, or the Orcus Protocol. Now, his defense counsel is a nebbish little fellow who looks like he just soiled himself. 
Sabretooth is really cool here. He's cocky and aloof. He isn't taking this seriously in the he, slightest. He spits on the floor. He's, he's just, he's basically daring them to lock him up. He's like, I'll get out. You know, don't worry. Suddenly, the smell of jasmine fills the room, and uh, Sabretooth knowingly smirks, because the scent of jasmine apparently signals the arrival of Emma Frost. Now, she's here to spring Creed out of the clink on account of the Krakoans having diplomatic immunity while on U.S. soil. Council does not dig this, but facts is facts. Sabretooth is released over to the White Queen. Worth noting, as Emma and the Cuckoos enter, we get some odd talk about only going by their mutant names, which is to say, while in the field, Emma is only to be addressed as White Queen. That seems a little weird to me. Um, I can't exactly put my finger on why, but that just, I don't know, it feels weird. Also worth noting, Frost herself slips up when she refers to Sabretooth as Creed. Uh, one of the Cuckoos quickly corrects her, though. From here, info page. How to go from a human to a Mega Sentinel in eight easy steps. Next stop, the Orcus Forge. Dr. Gregor is uh, chatting up Karima What's-Her-Face, and the Mother Mold is still being constructed, though Gregor posits that if they really wanted to, they could put her online right now. We also learn that there's a bit of a failsafe built in, where if things go sideways, the Mother Mold can be jettisoned right into the sun. So it's, you know, it's always good to have a plan B. Uh, unfortunately for them, they don't have a plan C, as in what to do if the X-Men show up before they're ready for them, which is basically what's about to happen. Now, Karima suggests they recall some drone sentinels from Mercury in order to help defend against the X-Men, and Gregor says she already did, but there's no way they'll arrive in time. We jump aboard the jet where Nightcrawler prepares to do a little reconnaissance work, and he bamps on in. He arrives right at the feet of Gregor and Karima. It's a bit of a contentious back and forth before Kurt bamfs away again. The Omega Sentinel deduces that the X-Men's targets are the Mother Mold's control collars, which, you know, stands to reason. While Gregor frets and checks in with the satellite security team, the X-Men land their jet on board well, the satellite. It looks like the X-Men have planned a precision strike against Orcus, which really makes these scientists and their security detail appear rather ill-prepared and, and kind of bush league. Um, perhaps I'm being lulled into a false sense of a security here, or maybe this is just an indictment on how useful Mora's memories are and Mora's uh, data. Anyway, Erasmus, the chief of Orca's security, realizes that they just about out of tricks. He calls into Gregor and more or less says goodbye. I'm not sure if this is new information or if it even matters, but it would appear that Erasmus and Gregor had a romantic relationship. The former laments to the latter that he wishes they decided to have children. Then he clicks a button and boom. We close out with a bomb blast which destroys part of the satellite as well as the X-Men's jet. From here we go to another mostly blank quote page followed by a Krakoan alphabet key, which I guess is pretty useful if you wanted to reread everything up to this point and maybe translate the things you didn't understand the first time around. It's a fun endeavor. It makes the book a little bit more interactive. I think that's a, that's a value-added thing. Um, I don't have much experience with, uh, you know, uh, alien alphabets. I know I tried uh, during an attempt at reading the Legion. Uh, what, is, what is their... I don't... I, I, don't even want to say what I think their language is, but uh, it's like Similac or something. But I think that's that's baby formula. Um, 
Interlac? That's something. But I remember seeing a uh, an alphabet uh, of the Legion uh, translation guide and uh, trying to use that. And uh, I just didn't care enough about the stories to, to make it work. So maybe we will with uh, House of X and, and, and Powers of Ten. Um, heck of an issue. I loved it. I thought this was a fantastic issue. Um, nice linear sto- uh, storytelling, which uh, I didn't feel lost at all. Um, which, I mean, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm getting my footing. I feel like with every issue, I'm feeling a little bit more comfortable and less like I've uh, dove into the deep end. Because uh, when we started this project, um, it felt like I was dropped into the deep end. It was just a lot of stuff that was a little familiar, but not at all familiar in the way that I remember it. Um, the cliffhanger. It was a great comic booky cliffhanger. That's fine. Though, I gotta say, I'm not really all that worried about whether or not the X-Men survived the blast, or if even they were still on board when it went boom. Though, I, I suppose I've been wrong before. And, you know, while on the subject, um, I re-listened to some of the first episode of this show in order to see if uh, anything I'd guessed or, you know, posited or had a hot take on uh, that would happen has happened. And uh, I didn't listen too far. Um, I got to I got through, like, the beginning portion of House of X1, and I was reminded of those X-Men that were, like, kind of birthed from that gross-looking tree with the, you know, even grosser-looking pods, and how one of them appeared to have, like, optic blasty powers. And I started to sweat a little bit. Um, like, we're not going into, like, toy soldier mode here, right, with the X-Men, like... Where we can just have them sent out to slaughter and just reborn again? I mean, that really couldn't be it, right? I Is that the gotcha? <laughs> is this sinister breeding stuff? Is is the guy under the helmet sinister? Is uh, Don't answer that. Because <laughs> we will get there. I'm, I'm still left wondering just how the opening scene might ultimately pay off. Is, is what I'm trying to get at here. And the fact that they didn't have a way... I mean, we look at this mission. We just had the X-Men of the of the year 100 on a on a sort of a suicide mission in trying to get the the Nimrod data. Here we have the X-Men not using Krakoan gateways here, so their only way back is the old-fashioned way, which could very well be a suicide mission. And why would you send these characters, these, you know, top-tier X-Men out on a suicide mission unless you could just regrow them. Uh, I mean, and we, we did hear a lot, a lot about Sinister on one of Morris' timelines, which I don't think has paid off yet. I don't know. I don't know how I'm feeling about that. <laughs> I, I, I realize this is like the hottest of hot takes here, and I could be totally speaking out of turn, but hopefully it's entertaining if you've read this and you know where it's headed and you can just see how far off the rails I've gone here. And just how deep uh, into potential symbolism I'm willing to go to uh, make myself sound smarter than I am. Now, while on the similar subject here, um, I'm growing more and more suspicious about Professor X, or whoever is under the Cerebro helmet. Though, in fairness, I, I feel like for the last like 25 years, uh, we, we X-fans have been sort of kind of trained to second-guess Xavier and be suspicious of his motivations. 
I, I feel like uh, you know he got you know Doom Patrol chiefed there, where we we can never take him as face value anymore. Um, after uh, after a time, uh, more about this issue. We get more world building here. We get confirmation that Krakoa is being recognized as a sovereign nation, complete with diplomatic immunity. Uh, we saw it in House of X uh, number one that the Fantastic Four, they didn't quite buy it, right? But uh, it looks like it is the real deal here, at least for now. Uh, I think this might have been the first issue up to this point that actually felt like an old-fashioned X-Men adventure to me, uh, relatively speaking, of course. I enjoyed the little debate between Wolverine and Jean regarding the innocence of Orcus's scientists. I feel like there there might be a lot of meat on that bone if Hickman decides to further explore it. Um... I mean, you know, there's that whole just following orders sort of a thing. Uh, Gene did mention that these people were scared, and when you're scared, you, you you know you lash out against the things that you're scared of or you don't understand. So it's a, uh, it may be uh, well trodden and a little tropey, but I I liked it maybe for those reasons because uh, it felt it felt more like home. Um, I'm still sticking with my usual observation that there were far too many info pages. I mean, we had like two or three in a row at times. Um, uh, Going through here, there were only nine, which, I mean, only nine. Uh, I feel like that might be too many for an oversized and therefore overpriced book. Uh, This could have been a $4 book without them. Um, Maybe include them in the trade. Because if you're going to charge five or six bucks, I, I would really prefer... We get, you know, real deal comic book pages rather than uh, charts. Uh, and, and I mean, I, I already said that there are some of these charts that I absolutely thought were a value-added thing and actually saved us pages because to explain them in sequential art would have taken an issue, you know. Uh, whereas putting them on the chart works in some situations where sometimes they don't. Um, the... The how to become a the human to Omega Sentinel thing that I don't think that required an entire page, um, but then again with uh, with designs this stark and striking, it's not like you could make a half page out of it. So you have to kind of go all or nothing. And you know if that's my biggest complaint so far, I think I think we're doing okay. You know because the story so far is enticing. I'm I can't wait to see how it goes, and I'm I'm torturing myself here by not reading. Reading ahead because I, I don't want to know. I want these episodes to be my absolute hot takes, my fresh thoughts, and uh, and I, I'm holding myself back from reading forward. So I would say that Hoxpox is a success. Um, now we wrapped up the first half of it here. Uh, we got a whole lot of questions. We got some answers. We got a lot of hot take predictions from your humble host here and. Uh, Cautious optimism for how this will all shake out in the end um, I'm having an absolute blast with this so far And uh, I really couldn't be happier that there are folks out there enjoying my I think I called it my fumbling and stumbling endeavor back into uh, X-relevancy And uh, it's been a long time since I've been so happy to be so wrong about comics And also creators that I'd sort of kind of written off as not being bad But maybe as just being not for me which I did with uh, with Jonathan Hickman uh, upon reading his Fantastic Four and Avengers, which now I'm feeling like maybe I need to reread and give, a, give another chance to. Uh, I don't know that I'll ever read that Secret Wars, though. 
that one might be a bridge too far for me. But, uh, yeah, I feel like I wrote him off unfairly uh, because this has been, uh, you know, outside of a few uh, things that I didn't quite like, I'm all in, you know, and I'm really enjoying this, and I, I can't wait to uh, to keep going through and finish off this event and then get into the Dawn of X proper. I think uh, this, is, this, is, this is some fun stuff. I'm really, really having a good time. So uh, I think that's where we'll leave it today. Uh, next time we're going to enter the second half of the event with House of X number four. So we get another issue of House of X. And uh, if you'd like to get a hold of me, if you wanna, if you wanna maybe be my uh, my Hoxpox tour guide on a future episode, let me know. You can reach out to me at Ace Comics on Twitter, or at uh, WeirdComicsHistory gmail.com. I'm actually checking those uh, every day, so <laughs> that'll be a easy way to get a hold of me. But uh, I think that's all I've got. So one more time, thank you all so so much for hanging out. It really really means a lot to me that uh, that folks are listening. Enjoying, engaging I mean, it feels It almost feels like I finally got this right <laughs> with, uh, with the way I'm doing this uh, And it really means the world to me that, uh, that there are people listening So thanks again And I will talk to you again real soon See ya